Good morning, everyone. As we have um, from our first reading, a very well-known uh, story of Job. And uh, oftentimes people, uh, Job's, the story of Job in the lesson uh, isn't so much about, if you will, about why there is suffering, but how to enter into it. Uh, Job uh, takes a really terrible, pessimistic view, at least at the beginning when you read it. <clears throat> but by the time it gets to the end, it's different. What changed? His relationship with God changed everything. And so, my friends, we see in our, our gospel reading also uh, something about suffering and uh, the question of human suffering, especially of the just. And this is what uh, that first reading, we're told uh, Job is just, he's good. Um, so this question of human suffering, and especially that of the just, uh, obviously it was a problem in all the biblical times, Old Testament and New Testament. And uh, this is the problem illustrated, as I said, with Job. And uh, Job, the story tells us, with this just man, he suffered really terribly. And uh, this resulted in this gloomy outlook that Job had. But towards the end, as he develops a relationship with God, he still doesn't get the answers he wants, <clears throat> but his relationship has changed. Suffering is still a problem of our time. And many people today, I think, could identify with Job. And uh, I think about all the suffering that there is, poverty and hunger and sickness and injustice and oppression and tragedies of all sorts. In the Old Testament times, suffering was seen as a punishment from God because of sin. And this is part of what the Job story wrestles with. And uh, our gospel, what was Jesus' answer to the problem of suffering? Well, my friends, uh, he did not uh, acquiesce to the understanding of the people of his time on this matter. He would tell us God does not desire human suffering. God desires good. What we see in the gospel is not so much an answer to the question, why is there suffering? Jesus didn't answer that. What he did was he showed us what to do in the face of human suffering. And that response was a practical one, as we see from today's gospel. Jesus, surrounded by crowds of people that were physically and emotionally and spiritually ill, he gives himself to each one of them, healing many of them. And Jesus did not insulate himself against human suffering. He actually entered into it. He made himself extremely vulnerable before the wounded and the sick. Suffering, for sure, can be a lonely condition. Jesus was not sentimental about suffering, nor did he preach resignation about it, as often many preachers do. And I did also at one time, early in my priesthood, but I do not anymore. Our Lord did not like to see people suffer. Suffering was one of the evils he came to fight. He had compassion on sufferers, and made many of them around him well. 
He cast out uh, many demons, the real ones, but he also cast out the ones of his time that were associated with misconceptions. But what he did do was he cast out those emotions of guilt and fear and shame and despair that also held people in bondage. The problem of suffering became an opportunity for Jesus to show us what the Father was like. By the way he gave himself to suffering, he reveals to us compassion in the face of human suffering. The suffering of others then must be an opportunity for us disciples. We may not be able to cure anyone, but it is within our power to care about them. And to care, that can be a very healing thing for people. To be with the sufferer in itself is a very worthwhile thing. But it is not an easy thing, especially for those who are walking now with family members and friends who are suffering. It's difficult because we have to look into the face of suffering. And we have to embrace it. There's no turning away from it. Because it means that we must live with them in their suffering. And that perhaps relieving the pain will not be within our ability, but we'll be able to walk with them and share in it at some level. Most of us will come to sufferers with empty hands. So what can you do for them? We can use those empty hands to comfort them, to take their hands, to make our presence known to them. Perhaps what many of those who suffer ask is that we do not forget about them, that we do not abandon them. And just because we're afraid, we do not turn our backs on them. As disciples, we are called to stand our ground at the foot of the cross, as Mary did with her son. Simply to be there, to be present. That is, in some ways, some of the hardest things to do. And sometimes the one thing the suffer, the person who suffer longs for is to experience our care, love sincerely and genuinely as regards to our own suffering. Suffering is unavoidable in this life. It is part of the human condition. To not have it is not to have really a truly human life. Now for some people in this world, they're able to escape by with very little. And I give God glory. Others, however, it is a daily event for them. For the faithful Christian, it comes as a great comfort to know that Jesus entered into our suffering. He went down the road of suffering and went down it to the end. And because of his suffering and his passion and his death, the road of human suffering is changed. It has redemptive values. It is holy. It is sacred now because of his suffering. 
a bright light now illumines it. When we enter into it and we offer it to Christ, it no longer is something done in vain, but has value. Our Lord shows us that through the road of suffering, which leads to Calvary, that is not the end. There is an Easter event that happens. So for us Christians, suffering which is unavoidable becomes an opportunity to share in Christ's passion, but also to ultimately share in that Easter victory. It ends in the gospel. There's a line. It says, Jesus approached her, grasped her hand, and in English it says, helped her up. But in the Hebrew language and the Greek, the understanding is he raised her up. Jesus approached. He went to her. Now, last night, Deacon pointed out something in the gospel. It said that Jesus' apostles just told Jesus about, oh, the woman, Peter's wife, <laughs> is sick. Simon, and he's Simon still. Uh, his name hasn't changed yet. And he's surrounded by lots of people. Jesus, here's what they have said. He already knows. He's waiting to see what they are going to do. Jesus approaches her. He goes to her. And in that moment, there is no one else but her. He makes himself fully present to her. He grasps her hand. Now, if you don't study the scriptures, you might think that's really nice. It means much more. In the scriptures, go read Psalm 37. It is a symbol of God's power, but it also is a sign of his compassion and love. He takes her by the hand and holds it. The other thing about that is when you watch children grab their parents' hand, the parent leads, for the most part. Sometimes the kids run in front, but the parent has the hand and is able to pull. They allow the parent to lead them. The symbol of Jesus grabbing her by the hand, he is going to guide her through what is happening. And he is also going to guide her out of it. As someone who has suffered from cancer twice, I know that I, in the midst of your suffering, you can get fixated on that thing, cancer. And nothing else, everything else is dark. Jesus wants to guide you from that place of being paralyzed to a better place, emotionally and spiritually. And then finally, as you probably surmised, Jesus raises her up. Now, uh, when he does that to her, she immediately gets up and makes lunch. <laughs> for the people. And one time I had a parishioner who said, you know, that's a characterization of women that is not good. She's going to service the men. And I'm like, is that what you got from that gospel? <laughs> I'm like, Jesus needs to touch your heart and give you some healing <laughs> because there's so much more. He raises her up. It is a foreshadowing of the life of fullness, not only on this earth for her, but in the next he raises her up as he will you in the resurrected life. 
and life eternal. And so, my friends, there's so much that's happening there. My friends, um, this gives me an opportunity, if you will, uh, to talk to you about the sacrament of anointing. We have seven sacraments in our church. Three of them are called the sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, or the sacrament of service, holy orders, and marriage. And then there's two sacraments of healing, the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of anointing. Sacrament of anointing is for a Catholic. Uh, in past times, it was for those who were gravely ill and that were going to die shortly. But um, most the older folks know that as last rites or extreme unction. But now we call it the sacrament of anointing. It's given to those, yes, who are gravely ill, but it's also to those uh, who maybe are having surgery, those who are suffering greatly spiritually and emotionally. It is still uh, one of the last rites given to a Catholic. And so as your pastor, as your priest, I'm telling you right now, do not wait until your loved one is actively dying to call for a priest because the priest may not be able to get there in time. Once a person dies, the priest or bishop cannot anoint them because it's a sacrament. It's only for the living. We can pray, but we can't administer the sacrament, which has great spiritual value for the person, emotional value, and sometimes, yes, physically. My friends, not at this parish, but at another parish, the family said, we didn't call you, we waited, and we waited because we were afraid when you came, she would die. As if I was the angel of death. <laughs> I'm like, so you didn't call because you were afraid? <laughs> what about your loved one? So I want to educate you, don't do that. The priest and bishop are not the angel of death. The sooner we get to the person, the better, the longer time grace has to help them. Even when they become unresponsive, we know they hear us. So I often get close to their ear. It's Father Mark, the priest. I've come to pray for you. Mark's been with me. People have come. They know how I, I am with those who are ill. Sometimes I will even anoint the family members because they're losing their minds. I'm like, calm down. Your loved one needs you to be fully present. <laughs> Let me anoint you too because obviously you're suffering. I'm like, pull it together for your loved one. People who are in the business, you know, Mr. Oftentimes the person who's dying becomes the caregiver of their loved ones. <laughs> They're the ones saying it's going to be okay. <laughs> you're supposed to be saying it's going to be okay to your loved one. I don't want to beat you guys over the head with this, but... Um, when you know that your loved one is ill, that's the time to call. We can talk about when it would be appropriate to go. And, but uh, waiting to the last minute is not going to be helpful because sometimes the priest is not available in that moment. My friends, um, I want you to know something about our parish. I've been here nine years now, and uh, this parish... I have never anointed so many people as I have here. And it took me a while to try and figure out what this was. Yes, we have a hospital, but other parishes have hospitals. We have a lot of assisted living facilities. Yes, 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 all that. I believe 
Our parish is a healing parish because people come here. They come here from other places. This is a good thing. This is a validation for me as a priest and pastor that this parish is doing what it's supposed to be doing, and it's growing and changing. And it wasn't just because of all the anointings, and this is also a parish that I've never done so many funerals for. A lot of funerals. But there was something else going on, and I didn't put the dots together. We have two men who are considering priesthood. They have come here. They weren't here before. They have come here. We have at least three men who are considering the diaconate. And I know at least two people who are considering the consecrated life. They might want to be a sister or a brother. They have come here to this parish. God trusts us with the vocation of these people because of who we are. This is a validation about our parish. We must be a praying parish. We must be a parish that's growing because this becomes a validation of that. I thought it was a coincidence until Jesus smacked me and said, I am trying to show you something. And finally, it wasn't until the last two, the men who came here, they came here. They were not here three months ago, but they are here now, and they have said, I am considering a priesthood. I am here. So we got to take care of that. We are as a parish, so thank you for your prayers and for your growing and for putting up with me <laughs> and for everything else. But I thought, you need to know this as a parish. These are signs of a parish that is healthy and growing. We may not be perfect, but God has put these souls in our parish to be cared for and to nurture their vocations. This is a truly great sign. I thought I was getting nothing done, and it's not just about me. It's about all of us. But I was really beginning to wonder, have I done anything? I think God has spoken clearly to us. Huh? Amen.